Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, music, faith, and community. in Vatican City, you might never know that the namesake of this largest church in the world was originally named after a fisherman named Simon, who's one of the most famous disciples of Jesus. But before Peter was a saint to be revered in a basilica designed by Michelangelo in his later years, he was a sinner sought out by Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And it took about 150 years to build St. Peter's Basilica, but I think it probably only took about 150 seconds for Peter to be captivated by the love that he felt from this rabbi with miraculous powers who called him by name. And he ends up changing his name, but we'll get to that later on, Simon Peter. Before Michelangelo was assigned to design the structure of this great basilica, tasked with making something extraordinarily beautiful out of historic ruins, Jesus sought out Simon Peter, seeking to make something beautiful out of him. This Lenten season, we are doing something we don't normally do we are focusing on one character in Scripture. For the next six weeks, our series is called Wondering Heart, Figuring Out Faith with Peter. Today, Jesus sought me, and we'll talk about that more. But we aren't looking to Peter for a perfect example on how to be a good Christian during Lent. Instead, in discovering the many layers of Peter's story, we discover our own story, our own flaws, our own imperfect journeys, and our own steadfast invitation from Jesus. Pastor Meredith Ann Miller is someone that we here at Lyde uh, use a lot in, in terms of kids' resources and faith formation. And she reminds us that we don't need to view characters in scripture as these flawless superheroes of faith. Rather, we can read scripture focusing on God as the main character and asking what we can learn about having faith as imperfect humans. It's not about these biblical superheroes that teach us everything. It's more about the journey and all the in-betweens, the highs and the lows. And it's really about how God seeks them out again and again. So don't think on this Lenten journey that Peter will always wow you with his steadfastness. Despite being named Peter by Jesus or Petra, the rock that the church was built on, this rock named Peter was also sometimes shaky, fragile, and unsure. He is both a friend and follower to Jesus and a betrayer, a denier in the end. 
He's understood to be the leader of the disciples, and yet he is often the first to voice his doubts. He wears his wandering heart on his sleeve, and Jesus never stops loving him. So we will journey with Peter from his very first call to be a disciple in the early days to after Christ's resurrection. Because Simon Peter does what Paul talks about. He says, Paul says, uh, and this is what Peter does. He works out his salvation with fear and trembling. And Paul probably meant fear as in a fear of God, a holy reverence or awe, a fear of the Lord. But Peter is not always so pious. I think he was genuinely afraid a lot of the time. He definitely has fear. He definitely trembles. And he's always saved. Some folks think think it's controversial that Peter is this imperfect, flawed character, and yet he becomes the rock of the church, the first pope, many would say, in the Catholic tradition. And some have tried to say, well, even though he was imperfect, he was the first called by Jesus, so that kind of gets him all, that makes up for all his, his struggles. But what if it's because of his struggles because of his imperfect faith, that he's actually a great example, a great companion for our journey in faith today. Maybe it's exactly right that the leader of the disciples, the saint worthy of the namesake of the largest church in the world, was a lot like us, trembling, unsure, but captivated by Jesus, hoping to be made new. So for some context, who who is Peter exactly? Well, he originally goes by Simon. Don't get too confused. That's why I'll say Simon, Simon Peter, sometimes Peter. He's a fisherman. And at this point in time, in history, I'm, we won't do a full history lesson, but I will say that being a fisherman was not the most lucrative career <laughs> in antiquity. There was no free market as we know today. So it wasn't about really competition or capitalism. The Roman Empire had most of the power. And any profit that someone made as a fisherman ultimately went to people who had more power than them. There was a client king in Galilee where these fishermen were named Herod Antipas, who was the son of the Herod, if you remember from our Advent time, the Herod who wanted to kill Jesus when he was born. And this Herod is basically a mini king, if you think about it that way. He ruled over a section, um, Judea and Galilee, and the Roman Empire wasn't too concerned with this section. He kind of let this smaller king rule things. It was a place where many Jews settled after the Roman Empire had occupied the area. And if you were a fisherman, like I said, you didn't have much power. And fishing was hard manual labor that was unpredictable. You didn't know what you were going to catch one day or the next. But we know that Simon was doing well enough to partner in business with his brother Andrew and James and John, his friends. And so they probably did all right to make enough money to get by. 
But of all the people that Jesus could extend this invitation to be a disciple to, would you have guessed fishermen on the shores of of the Sea of Galilee? Jesus doesn't pick those who are in the upper echelons of religious society. He goes to the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And this is pretty amazing to me. These fishermen weren't elegant or highly educated, and they probably smelled like fish. It's kind of gross if you think about it. Perhaps Simon thought that he would live a simple life catching fish, providing for his family, and being a faithful Jewish man in the ways that he could. And then enter Jesus. So let's read a story today from Luke, from the Gospel Luke, and see what we can learn. Uh, I'm going to be in chapter 5 in the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 11. Once Jesus was standing beside the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, He saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put a little way, put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put on, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in on the other boat to help them, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. So, what a story. Simon Peter has three major responses to Jesus in this wild story that we're reading now today from thousands of years ago. And I think that these three responses can teach us something about how we respond to holy invitations from Jesus today. The first one is, if you say so. So Simon Peter has seen the power of Jesus because we know in the earlier chapter, in chapter four, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law from this terrible fever that she has. So obviously Simon knows something's different about Jesus. He knows that Jesus has these miraculous powers. And Jesus has sort of taken over his boat to become his pulpit, in a sense. Um, 
So Simon knows that Jesus is important and powerful. Why do you think he, he doesn't believe that Jesus will be miraculous again? You see, he says, he says, well, I've been trying all night to fish and I haven't caught anything. So another way of saying that is you're probably not going to catch anything either, Jesus. But he says, if you say so, I'll give it a try. And lo and behold, Simon ends up catching so much fish that the boat begins to sink with this abundance. So often we say yes to God reluctantly. And we say, if you say so, we'll try this thing that you're asking us to try. Maybe we forget about the miracles that God has done in our lives and we need to be proven again and again that Christ can be trusted. If you say so, I'll give it a try. Peter thinks he has done all that he can do and he won't catch any fish. And how often do we think that we've done all we can do for a situation believing that nothing will change anymore? We've worked so hard at something ourselves, and we don't trust the effort of Jesus more than we trust our own efforts. And we assume that Jesus will be as unsuccessful as we have been. And that's when Jesus says, drop your net, give it a try. Jesus tells Simon Peter to drop his net even after he's been unsuccessful all night and he ends up catching an abundance. Now this isn't to shame ourselves for our reluctant yeses. This isn't about shame. But how might we make more room to believe in God's abundance, even in extraordinary situations? Even if we've tried everything we can, what if we made room for Jesus to show up and surprise us? Especially if he has evidence that he's, he's done it before. Christ asks us to drop our nets, to give it one more chance in situations and circumstances where our efforts leave us exhausted and empty-handed. Jesus, you want me to drop my net here? Are you sure? Because I've been trying for a while and it hasn't been working. You want me to drop my net in this community? In Deep Ellum? Drop my net in the struggles of parenting? Drop my net in this conflict with my partner? I've been trying and it hasn't worked. So what could you do differently than I can? You know that feeling in your soul. But lo and behold, what abundance might be waiting for us when we do decide to drop our nets when Jesus tells us to do so. The second response that Simon has is, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. This is in verse 8. See, the miracle happens, and wouldn't you know it, the first thing he does is say, get the heck away from me. <laughs> I mean, he could make a lot of money off that fish, you know? He could go sell the fish. But the first thing he says is to create distance from Christ. 
But wouldn't you know that sometimes shame lies to us and tells us that our sin, our mistakes, our prickly pear moments will always keep us distance from our creator. Shame tells us that our feelings, thoughts, and behaviors define who we are and who we are is bad. So we better just tell Jesus to get the heck away. (laughs) You don't wanna be here with me. But the thing is, we can't actually push Jesus away. Even our efforts to tell him to go don't work. So he says, go away from me because he thinks that his sin will keep him separated, right? But we know that nothing can separate us from God, even even our sin, and nothing could separate Simon from Jesus. Jesus doesn't run away when Simon tells him to run away. He stays in relationship with him and even invites him further on the journey. When are the times when you try to say, get away from me? When you feel inadequate, do you think that your inadequacies separate you from Christ? This journey of Lent is about examining ourselves, but it isn't about hating ourselves. Let me get that straight. It's not about giving up the thing or going on the diet so that you can become a better version of yourself who God would love. That's not it, y'all. Because the thing is, God already loves you. (laughs) The love is the first thing. And then God's creating you into a version of you that looks more like Christ over time. So we, we don't say, get away from me, Lord. But sometimes we might. Sometimes we might be like Simon and say, get the heck away from me. But guess what? It doesn't work. The third thing that Simon says, he actually doesn't say this, but Luke narrates for us and tells us that he says this, or tells us that he does this, is he leaves everything and follows him. So what do you think happens between the get get away from me and the I'll leave everything I have to follow you? There's kind of a turn there. How does he change his mind? Well, Jesus says, don't worry. You're going to be catching people now. You're going to be fishers of men. Y'all have probably heard that, that phrase. And I wonder if Simon thought to himself, Well, Jesus, I don't think that's a very good idea because I'm already not very good at being fishers of fish. (laughs) I need you to do that. So how am I going to go be fishers of people? We don't know what shifts his perspective, but I think it probably had something to do with their relationship, with their connection. And maybe Simon didn't have all the answers figured out to follow him. Simon didn't know how everything would turn out, but he knows enough. He knows that he's loved. He knows 
that maybe this life of following Jesus is going to be more exciting than spending a life on the dried up shores of a sea of Galilee as a fisherman. And he gets to be part of a movement that's bigger than him. So he leaves everything to follow Jesus. I hope that you're kind of getting a sense of what journeying with Jesus is like through the lens of Peter, Simon Peter. It's not perfect. It's not having every answer. It's not knowing how the end will play out. But it's knowing that maybe it's worth letting Jesus come aboard your life and use your gifts Speak your language. I think that the cool thing is that we could really talk about what this phrase fishers of men means. Um, it's, it's kind of an interesting phrase to be compared to, to fish, right? But what I think, I think Jesus is speaking their language. And I think that if he was speaking to a group of artists, he would say, hey, now I'm going to create a new art within you. And if he was speaking to teachers, he would say, hey, now you're the student. And if he was speaking to construction workers, he'd say, hey, we've got to lay a new foundation. Because Jesus speaks our language, incarnation, God with us. So on this journey, we're going on together in the next, six weeks towards Easter. We're not to Easter yet. We're not to the resurrection. We're going to figure faith out. And we're going to wear our wandering heart on our sleeve. We're going to voice our honest confusion, our honest doubts. And sometimes we might say, get away from me because I am a sinful man. <laughs> But lo and behold, again and again, Jesus will invite us to relationship and transformation. In closing, we're, the theme of this is also based on the hymn, Come Thou Fount. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. I think that Simon Peter could have never guessed what streams of mercy awaited him. And there are streams of mercy for us, friends, abundance from God. So drop your net, stay here, trust the journey, Voice your honest feelings to Christ. He can take it. And let's see where this road leads us. Amen.